Ladies and gentlemen, another episode of my podcast, Bagheel on Brand. This is your host, Saeed Bagheel. Exciting, exciting, exciting. I'm having Chief Marketing Officer, the former Chief Marketing Officer, Omar, and former Head of uh, Dubai Opera, uh, Marlene Zahur, and her new transition. She's going to tell you all about that transition. But what's exciting is a talent an absolute talent i feel the passion and that's why i invited her over not because of she's the former chief marketing officer of Amar. what do i care i don't care about titles what i want to bring to you guys is talent a voice that can impact you and she certainly is that voice let's tune in marlon uh, welcome to my podcast, a special episode, and please introduce yourself to my audience. Yeah, thanks for having me. My name is uh, Marilyn Zakhour. Um, I'm a Lebanese, currently living in Dubai. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I studied architecture, but I've never built anything. Uh, I joined a tech uh, company just out of university and stayed with them for nine years. I started doing data entry, then managed the agency, then was responsible for software and e-commerce and um, lived in Lebanon for the first four years and in Paris for the next five. Um, I got an executive MBA um, at some point and finally knew what EBITDA meant and I decided I wanted to explore something new. Um, I was very curious about the corporate world because I'd always been in the startup world. and then I got recruited to join the chairman's office at EMAR. So uh, my husband and I moved to Dubai. Uh, I didn't have a specific role that I was going to, um, to have, no job description, so to speak. Um, but I joined in September and then I knew that, you know, I would kind of serve wherever was needed, wherever my talent could be useful. And in November, I was asked to step in um, as the acting CMO for EMAR. So I ended up doing that for about a year. And then the following November, so November 2019, uh, I was asked to step in again as the acting head of Dubai Opera. Uh, And I immediately jumped on that, um, stayed there until the pandemic. And as we know, there are currently, you know, no public gatherings. So the opera uh, had to suspend its activities. Uh, And so I had to think about what was going to be my next move. And I'm always, always been really passionate about uh, making people collaborate better and um, helping them be more than the sum of their parts. And so I started a company called Cosmic Centaurs that focuses on helping companies understand the future of work and education and try to build better environments uh, in a world that has irreversibly changed after this pandemic. I am also the host of a podcast called Who Run the World that focuses on female leadership. Wow, amazing. Here's a question for you now. How did you parachute into Chief Marketing Officer and your first assignment at uh, uh, Amar was the chairman's office, right? Is it the chairman's office? Yeah, so essentially um, I was in the chairman's office and, and that meant that I would support wherever was needed. Um, and that, But you didn't have any, but you didn't have any marketing experience. Oh, no, of course, past, of course I did. I mean, uh, um, they're adventurous, but um, I still, so in my previous job, I was responsible for a digital agency. Uh, and that included okay. overseeing all of our marketing and communication and branding work for clients. Uh, so no, I've been in, in the marketing game for a while, but I'm a bit more of a generalist. So I'm not a marketing specialist, um, but I knew enough. Um, and then the other thing is I'm a great learner. So I just put myself yeah. to learning what was needed. I, I, I super, 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 super love the honesty. I'm a journal, journalist, not specialist. Sometimes you have people that come in, they did a job for two months and they think they're a specialist. <laughs> I love this. You know what I mean? They, they, they change the title on LinkedIn. Their whole life changes in two months. And the rest of us who've been doing this for the past 30 years, are, they come and debate with us. What we did is wrong. What they're doing is right. 30 years to two months. <laughs> so I love your honesty. So let's go to your new transition now, Merlin, which yeah. I find it super, super, super honest. Maybe I'm using super, super honest a lot here because I think you're super. I've seen your bio. I like, I like, I, I like you. I like how you're coming out with all this. And what caught also my attention is, I don't know if this is meant or not, but you're positioning yourself as the remote working. Why? 
Well, here's the thing, right? So I've always worked in a remote work setting because the company I used to work for was a very small multinational. I had teams reporting to me and working on the same products that were based in Montreal, Dublin, Paris, London, you know, Brussels and Beirut. So I've always had to kind of figure out how to make people who don't have a lot in common, may not see each other very often um, in the, you know, by being in the same room, collaborate and create something together. Um, and so I think, like I said earlier, I've always been really, whether as a manager, when I was the CMO, when I was at the opera before in my job at Keyword, I think the one thing that is consistent is I love trying to figure out how people can can create together. Uh, and that's why I created the company. And with, with the pandemic, uh, I mean, remote work is not new, right? It's been around ever since the internet made it possible. So since the 90s. Um, but I think a lot of companies are going to get it wrong. I think they're going to assume that the first three months of remote work, which to me are kind of like the honeymoon, because you're still working with the same people you know, you're still working on the same project. It's not like you're entering a company or that you have like a hundred new employees and they've never met you, they've never been to the office. So I think companies are gonna assume that it's gonna stay like this forever and they're just gonna overdo remote work without really mm -hmm. taking the time to understand how does that fundamentally change the system for them in terms of people, technology, processes, uh, everything from recruiting to onboarding to assessing people to leading them to aligning them all of these things have to be done differently and because I think a lot of companies are possibly going to get it wrong I'd love to be able to support them in in you know readjusting their course and that's why I started this because the pandemic is going to change both the way we work and the way we learn and a lot of our jobs are going to become outsourced um, and some of them obsolete with the progress of technology, which was already coming, but it's just that the pandemic accelerated it. And I just want to be able to create more humane environments um, through the companies that I will help, hopefully. So you're going to center. So you're going to center the uh, your your startup around this what you just described now. Yes, that's right. So that's going to be your core business. Mm -hmm. Okay, this transition after being employed for so long and now being self-employed yeah. must be passion, not just a job. It's more than a job. Yeah, I mean, it isn't a job, actually, <laughs> um, because um, as, you, as you probably have experienced yourself, you know, it's not a small thing to employ people and to be responsible for them uh, and to carry all of that risk, right? You don't do it if, if all you need is a job. I could go find a job right now. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be that hard. I mean with a bit of patience, right? But um, yes. But to me, I've always, you know, when I was on the startup side of the world, um, I had to advise a few entrepreneurs and, and I would always, you know, watch them as they were progressing in their journey and say, ah, oh, I think I could do a better job than them. Um, and I thought that now was a great time to put my money where my mouth is um, and really like start a company that that would be based on something that I really love, which is helping humans communicate and collaborate and create together. Um, but certainly it's not a job and it comes with a lot of excitement. Like it's really beautiful to be able to create something from scratch, to be the master of your own world in, in some ways, to be able to recruit people that you like, um, to work on projects with clients that, you know, speak some kind of the same language it's really beautiful and empowering but it's also terrifying right um yes. here i am hiring someone in in the height of like one of the worst economic crises we've ever seen uh you know okay i i've been able to find my first client which is fantastic but where does the next one come from and there are a few things that keep you awake at night right so you have to be absolutely so here's also this three questions that are very important so we can now go into the uh, your work. Mm -hmm. uh, my first question is, as a startup uh, and as Marlon, who has tremendous experience and passionately wants to do this with a great purpose, how do you want to be perceived publicly? I would like to know one, because that will reflect so much 
on the Marlin brand that you're trying to build. Whether the organization name is XYZ, it's always about you because if there's no face to it, nobody's going to contact you. Uh, right. not, nobody's going to work with it. So how do you want to be perceived? I think uh, I want cosmic centers. And I mean, as you say, like it is always an extension of, of the faces behind it, but to be perceived as a, um, as a firm that really um, cares about the, the clients that it works with and is really trying to understand who they are, what kind of company they have, and isn't pres prescriptive about like, oh, I already know the solution to all of your problems. Um, I want to be someone who listens and understands and learns because I think when you're in the service industry, you're only as good as your client. Um, and and it's because you need to engage with them in the way that you would with a really good friend. You have to know who they are. You can't just give them any piece of advice. Um, I think I want to be perceived as someone who, who stands in solidarity with the people that they work with um, and who really tries to humanize that equation. And um, I think I want to also be perceived as someone with good knowledge. I think that's so important. I don't, I've been doing so much research, uh, reading academia, uh, trying to look at data, to really come to people, not with an opinion, um, but with, with information. Because I think that when you give people knowledge, they can make the right decisions. I mean, I'm not going to come and say, oh, all of your managers are useless. I'm going to come and say, here's something you should know about how this kind of organization can work. Here's the data. This happened in that company. And I think that as a partnership with, with whoever I end up working with, we can then make the right decisions for that specific company and its specific people and not just a recipe that I throw at everybody. Perfect. And the second question is, do you have a special model that is associated with uh, your business? Example, uh, let me give you an example so I'm going to make that a lot easier. Uh, I'm a brand consultant, so a lot of people talk about brand strategy all over the world. Brand strategy, brand strategy. Even a graphic designer that jumps on LinkedIn today says I'm a brand strategist. So I moved away and I created my own model, which is the relevance model. Mm -hmm. Brands need to be relevant to uh, improve sales, improve the organization, improve everything holistically. Uh, do you have that unique selling proposition or not yet? So I'm actually, you I'm actually crafting it, uh, you know, right now. Um, I recruited a couple of people to join me and I said, imagine you're joining, I don't know, McKinsey 80 years ago, if McKinsey was around, I think it was. Uh, but we're, I, we're actually at the genesis of this. I have a lot of um, different frameworks that I started to use and I'm um, lucky to have a few clients and friends who kind of uh, humor me long enough to listen to them and try to apply them and see if they work. Um, but I'll come back to you in a couple of months and then I can tell you what my framework is or what my model is, but I'm working on it. Awesome. If you ever need a, a third brain during your sessions, I'm more than happy to do that for free. Very so good. you call me, join you for a brainstorm. All right. Uh, how, how do you network? So how do you network? How do you reach people? I mean, do you understand your audience? Do you know who your audience are? Yeah, I think that my audience right now, and that's not to say that it'll never change, but um, it's executives who either are either founders or CEOs who are very heavily involved in the organizational design of their company and in the human side of the processes. They haven't uh, delegated that fully yet to HR. Um, and they understand that their organization is going to need um, support and new ideas, a new way of managing and organizing itself in order to stay relevant and competitive and innovative. Um, and so that's who my target audience is because they are still involved in designing the organization, uh, but they also have the business side. And so they can quickly see how the return on investment can come about um, or, you know, really business-oriented HR people um, who understand that they need support and they need to see how other companies have done it and what has succeeded and what hasn't. So that's my audience. And the way that I network, so I'll start off by saying that I'm actually 
a relatively shy networker. Like I don't know how to get into a room and then talk to 30 people in one hour. I tend to prefer deep one-on-one -on -one conversations. Um, now there are no rooms to walk into, which is not a bad thing, but I think that my first um, way of networking is actually to give something to the community. So from day one, I, on LinkedIn particularly, because that's where my audience is, um, I started sharing tips and insights and uh, webinars and um, content um, to start supporting people in that transition. It was the early days of uh, everybody being on lockdown. So the first thing is that if you give before you ask for anything, and actually I didn't even know what to ask for at the time, um, people just, just get energized around you. I had people reach out to me and say, oh my God, you should do this for your living. And, oh, this is so valuable. How can I help, you know? And I think that when you put something out there um, and you're generous about it, people are generous back. So that's, I think, my first way of networking. Um, the other one is really being curious about what other people do. Um, I want to hear their stories like you did with me actually, um, which is to say, tell me about you. What do you do? Oh, this is so exciting. Great. Like, let's see how I can learn something from you. And then um, it's always reciprocal. They'll always ask, okay, what are you up to? How can I support you? Um, and so that's, I think that's how I network by building connection with others and, and really being curious and generous at the same time. I think that's, and that's the kind of person that I want to help out, right? So I try to be, I try to be the person that would make me want to help them. Absolutely, I look for people who not only with talent but with passion. Mm -hmm. I look for the, I look for people who when when I'm bring them on my podcast or even when I uh, want to put them around my uh, consultancy circle. Uh, not only that they're brand and marketing, but also not not only what they've done, but how long they've been doing it. Was it just for uh, financial purpose or is it something much bigger than them uh, the level of passion and all that stuff because you know what you can find people on LinkedIn that talk about brand and marketing or whatever and what you do and basically there uh, there's a repetition you know it's commoditized content mm. uh, nothing special nothing unique that you're going to bring to the table that uh, so the audience will grab and say, wow, man, this is something absolutely new. I need to look into this. Yeah. And that is what we need to bring. Because when you scroll down your LinkedIn or, or Facebook or whatever it is, or Twitter, when you scroll down, the repetition sometimes like, wow, I've had it. <laughs> I mean, LinkedIn, for example, I've had enough of people posting certificates. Seriously. <laughs> and recently webinars. And the webinars have gone crazy now. You know, everybody's making a webinar. So which I don't mind at all, but it's just that we, I'm, I'm looking for content. I'm looking for something to learn. I'm looking for something new in my industry. And I'm speaking for my industry brand. You know, it's very difficult. Yeah, I agree. It's I mean, to find content that is new and fresh. Exactly. And I think Absolutely. that that's the, that's the idea, right? I mean, it would be very easy for me to go and repurpose some existing content and just um, repeat it, right? And claim it. I spent quite a bit of time trying to make sure that what I'm saying is, well, useful, original. Of course, repetition also means that an idea is valuable, right? That's why people repeat it. Yes. But it's just, um, how do you say it? How do you allow people to put it in context? Uh, how do you help them understand it in new ways? I think that's so important. Otherwise, you're just reposting what somebody else's thoughts, right? Exactly. It, you know, in your business, my business, and there's a lot of um, individuality. Now we're moving to, from big organizations to tiny bit organizations, which is three to four people. And one of the three, four people is a stronger individual. And I believe also that the three that are working with the stronger individual eventually will have their own. There'll be two and there'll be one eventually in seven years or eight years from now. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you as an individual cannot craft uh, that special content you're not going to stand out. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I would, if I see repetition from your side <laughs> on the content you provide, I don't think I will. Uh, promise, promise because me. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Sorry. I think, promise me, if you ever do, you'll yell at me. <laughs> oh, I will. Oh, ask, ask people on LinkedIn. They know they, some call me shooter. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> So, so here's the other thing that I really want to know about this is that, um, 
where do you want to go with all this? I mean, it's a startup. It's four months. You said you started from April, right? Yeah, April 16th. So it's, um, it's now two months old. Okay. Um, I want to know where do you want to go with this? Because I want to remind you a few years down the line and send you a copy of this <laughs> and tell you, or send you a link and tell you, look what you just said it happened. Where do you want to go Brilliant. with this five years from now? Um, look, I've always been a believer in, um, in the power of technology to help humans. I've, I'm also a believer that we can make technology uh, quite terrible for humans. Like there's a lot of technology that makes um, that takes away from our, the value of our lives and our contribution. I want to think that I will be producing something on in the side of technology that is um, sort of brings meaning and value to people's lives and supports them and what they need to be doing. So my I kind of always grew up in the in the software world uh, also, and I'm an architect. Architects design systems, right? That's that's what we're taught to do. We we learn to design them by bringing together functionality and aesthetics and um, and um, technicity because we have to make beautiful spaces that that are functional, but we also have to make sure the AC and the water pipe get to where they are. Um, and so I think where this goes is is in building software and systems. I, my mother actually is also a software engineer, uh, which is. I always say I'm I'm only version 2.0, like she's the original version because she did that, um, you know, in the 80s, right, when computers were rooms. So I kind of always grew up with this idea that systems could really help enhance people's lives and contributions. So I think where Cosmic Centers go goes is to explore that um, and to develop software that could really help us collaborate. Um, be remote if we want to be remote to be in the office if we want to be in the office um, but have an easy way of creating together mm, interesting um, but uh, how would you visualize this i mean uh, if there is my uh, we consider our audience now and um, say okay they're trying to build a frame around where she wants to be in five years a mental frame and they're trying to visualize it. Right. Let's, How would you simplify what he just said? Now? Let's put it this way, right? Like what I do now is consulting. I go and I talk to people and I listen to their problems that they're having. And then I help them to find a tailor-made solution for their companies. And I think that when you acquire this kind of really amazing knowledge, because people are letting you into their organizations, you start to find patterns in the world. Um, I, I haven't found them yet. There's a couple of ideas that I'm exploring, but... Um, you start to find that a lot of companies, a lot of organizations are faced with some similar problems. Um, and that creates the, the origin of trying to find a systemic solution rather than only tailor-made solutions. Um, and I think that's where this goes, right? If I, if I manage to convince enough people to share their problems with me, I will find patterns. And when I find them, I'll try to find original solutions for them and then build technology that can help you know solve them for the companies i think companies are going to have a lot of common problems right let's take a few just just out of theory i mean i don't know that i'll be focusing on any of them one big problem companies are going to have is trust right they're not going to know um, how to cre recreate trust with their employees or with their customers we could talk about what brands have or haven't been doing over the last couple of months um, other problems that companies are going to have is going to be redesigning the organization and deciding who needs to be at the office and who doesn't need to be at the office and what is the impact of being together in the same room on all of our business KPIs. Does it change our business KPIs? Do we sell more or less? Do we create more or less? Do we innovate more or less? Do we remain more competitive or not? And how can we decide what kind of talent needs to be in the room or not? But also a lot of our employees are going to become more or less obsolete. Here's another systemic problem. What do we do? Do we just put them back in the market and say, it's not our problem, the market will we deal with them? Or is there some approach to upskilling that can be beneficial for everybody and still have return on investment from an economic point of view? So I think there's this, this kind of, you can draw a mind map, let's say around all the big things that are going to be different and then say, okay, well, then let me go and attack these problems and then try to find ways to support the companies in a, in a scalable, systemic way.
So that's kind of where I see it going. Perfect. Marlon, you're going to have two big challenges in what you do. And I want to challenge you. Let's do it. Uh, and I'm not challenging you because I want, I want to win. No, I'm challenging because I know you'll give me the perfect answer because a lot of people failed in giving me the perfect answers. So two big challenges you're going to face. The transition, and they're both transitional, which I think they're not, but maybe they are. Okay. A, culture will be a problem. B, brand will be a problem. The, the biggest enemy to brand today, to sustain itself, would be remote working. Culture is also remote working. How do you plan to help organization maintain both? While I am working from home, but I'm still I'm the brand ambassador of the organization mm. online. I think you hit the nail on the head, right? I think it's quite difficult because what what a lot of um, HR people or CFOs are going to say is like, oh, amazing, we can be productive while having everybody work from home. Uh, then let's cut our office space down by 70%. And as you say, the, the consequence of that is going to be that we no longer have a place where we congregate that represents our values and the way that we work. And to your point, I mean, one could even wonder whether culture is going to be a thing for most of us. We might end up, a lot of us might end up just being an output machine for companies and not being part of the culture. Um, and, I, and I'm interested and curious to see where that goes. And I think you're absolutely right. There's a huge risk there. And, but I also think that fundamentals change usually a little bit slowly until they change drastically, but some things are always going to be there. You're right. Every employee is an ambassador. How do you keep them connected to the core? Um, I think there's a lot of answers out there. I think some new ones need to be invented. Um, but also like, I don't know if you've, I always talk about this one cause I love this, this piece of information. So have you ever heard of Dunbar's number? No. So Dunbar's number is is comes from like Dunbar. So like it, it was a he he researched um, community forming in in human societies, and what he saw was that there was a number more or less 150. It can be a bit below or a bit above, um, where we are able to create community uh, from social connections. So that means that when humans st started settling. Um, they um, and forming communities uh, up to 150 individuals everything was went fine purely because everybody knew one another and um, and so that made them form a community but above that number they the need for common law and common values starts to arise because you cannot coordinate this many human beings above that number now you take this and you bring it to organizations and you could say the same thing. You could say that when an organization grows above this number of people, social connection is no longer enough. You start seeing work being duplicated. Different people are working on the same thing and you don't know. New people join a company and you don't, you don't learn about that until six months later. Um, and what that has given us is something um, that is, that for, so we need to solve for these problems, the breakages, the growing pains. And I think those growing pains are gonna appear in remote organizations, maybe at a lower number than 150. Some solutions to that that we now see is, and one that I particularly love because I find it very humane, um, is the idea of implementing new rituals inside organizations. And of course we know the word rituals from the um, religious context, but rituals in the, like their most basic definition are a group of people consciously coming together to perform something together. Um, and you, you'll see, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure we can find a lot of really amazing examples of rituals, but rituals are a great way to say what matters to you. We have examples of rituals from our childhood. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, and even until now, actually, uh, Sunday lunch with the family was, you know, sacred meaning no one didn't show up. Everybody had to be there on Sunday at lunchtime. All my friends would go out and have, you know, do their own thing and not be with their family. But for my family, I had to be there. And what does that ritual say? It says that family is important, that we make uh, 
time for one another, that we choose to spend it eating because sharing food has value. And I grew up with those values. And so you can repeat that for companies, right? The way you welcome people in, the way you engage, how you recreate social bond at a distance. Um, that's something that you can do. You can implement rituals for your organizations that can help solve for that breakage in the culture and in the brand side. But there are no silver bullets. I mean, you have to figure out what works for the company. Um, perfect. Marlene, there's notes right here in front of my monitor. First thing, I had to position you. Second, I had to uh, sort of find a problem mm-hmm. uh, where... I think would be a challenge for you, but if you solve that problem in the near future, I'll be one of the <laughs> most happiest people and I'll celebrate you every day. So Marlene, two challenges we talked about, brand and, and culture. Yeah. I think these are two very, very sensitive and the core of big organizations and small organizations. You'll certainly have to find a solution for this transition. B, which is, this is also very realistic. Uh, unfortunately, you'll meet a lot of organizations that claim they have culture and brand, but they don't. I know this from my work. Uh, when I go audit organizations, whether they're 500 employees or 25 employees or 30 employees, culture evolves. Organizations, unfortunately, they think of size and bottom numbers, which is the sales, mm-hmm. but they don't understand the internal motion inside between the relationship between internal stakeholders and external stakeholders. How do you present the brand? How do you maintain the culture always there? None of this exists, unfortunately, again, with our regional companies, whether in Lebanon, Saudi, Emirates, anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I think if you ask me, it's much easier for you to work with those that don't have culture over those that have culture. Do you agree or disagree? Mm, no, I disagree. Okay, I love that point that you disagree. So educate me. Look, I think that, um, you know, let me put my brand hat on for a minute, right? Um, sure. A brand is expressed in every single touch point, right? Okay, Absolutely. We, love, we love to compare brand to people. Why do we love to do that? Yeah. Because when people are genuine, this, which is what you asked me to be today, Uh, Every time you interact with them, you get the same brand, you get the same person. And whether it's what they choose to wear, what they eat, how they welcome you, how they show up at a moment of need, all these things, all these different touch points when someone is genuine um, are are aligned with one another. And that means that as in order to interact with this person. So if you think I'm genuine, you will find it easy to interact with me because you know, if I, if you press on this button, how I'm going to react, right? You, at least you have some sense of safety in doing that. Like, oh, I know what Marilyn is like. So if I, if I change this, or if I ask her this question, this is the kind of help she can give me. Now let's go back to brands and culture. I think that when you have a strong culture and and it doesn't have to always be a kumbaya culture, you know, like culture can be tough. You can like, I, I don't know, Amazon has a really tough culture. They're very unapologetic about that. Um, yes. It's not that, oh, culture means we always have to care and whatever. No, there are certain companies that are cutthroat and that's fine too, because there are certain people who are cutthroat. Um, it makes it so much easier to, to come in and say, oh, so these are the things that are first principles for you. As, a, as an organization, because culture is also about what we accept and what we don't. Where do we draw red lines? What values do we care for and which ones do we not care for? Um, that makes the interaction with those organizations a lot easier because you know what they stand for, you know what their first principles are, and when you can suggest a solution, you're doing it in alignment with that. But going into organizations that don't have that means that there is no common core on which to start, right? If I say you should be doing this for your employees, oh, let's implement this kind of ritual. There is no Northern star and brand and culture are the star. They're, they're your compass. They're the thing that allows you to decide what you do and what you don't do. Otherwise, Absolutely. Otherwise it just becomes a big salad of things and, and, and they don't align. But my, my understanding is that, uh, 
and correct me please, that those that don't have culture, you're able to help them sort of uh, build that culture, uh, walk them through the transition of remote working. So the performance is not affected, but like we talked to you and I previously, and we said, if culture is dead, control comes in power. That's true. Look, I mean, I can help them for sure because then they, they're giving me a blank paper to work with. But at the same time, I have to wonder why they don't have culture. And, and that's a symptom of something bigger. That's why I'm saying it will actually be harder. It means that whatever I give them in terms of building a culture or supporting it, why did they not build it themselves before they met me? So that's the because the CEO does because because the CEO doesn't believe in it, and the CEO is from the family, family-owned business, yeah. and well, he believes that uh, you know family-owned business, uh, business usually yeah. if there's if there's no corporate governance on family council, the CEO thinks he knows everything. So how are you gonna how are you gonna solve this problem? Yeah, see, I'm not sure I can, um, and that's something, <laughs> you know. I like that. I'm yes, not sure yes. I can because I I need to have in front of me someone who who believes that culture is, is meaningful. Otherwise, as you say, instead we can replace it with a culture of control. And that's not a culture, that's just a, um, a process. And we can say, okay, you know what? You don't care about uh, building a brand or a culture, brilliant. Then let's just uh, not hire anybody. We don't need employees. We just need a few managers. Uh, we'll very clearly lay out what the employees need to do. We'll give them a task sheet and a time sheet and they'll deliver it and you never have to hear about them. And you know what? I think those kinds of organizations will also start to um, appear, although they probably already exist. Look at customer service companies or um, you know, any company that really does a lot of outsourced work. Uh, they will exist and they will maybe thrive in an environment where remote work is the normal. Um, but that's not the ones that I want to necessarily spend my time with. So you are telling me that you have, you'll select the clients, you will filter the clients, you'll interview and onboard them, then decide if this is your client or not? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't ever think that I will sign every contract that comes my way. Because again, remember why I did this. I didn't do this to make money right? I did this because I want to be around other smart people who, who want to build better companies in a new context, in a context that is different and sometimes um, not natural because we, we didn't learn to hunt lions in the savannah on Skype. Um, so of course, I will filter out those clients that's where our partnership will be meaningful for both of us. It's not just about signing contracts. How about if the client feels offended that you're interviewing them? He says, well, listen, I'm coming here to pay. So why are you interviewing me? <laughs> uh, because I'm going to be spending the only currency I have, which is time, on, on you or with you. And I want to make sure that I'm spending it wisely. Okay. And if, so if, this might client, narrow if a client is unhappy to hear that, then maybe they're just not right for me. So Marlene, this will narrow your clients to two to three clients a year. This is going to also make you more expensive. So how are you going to challenge this? No, because again, it's I'll, the idea is for the company to have different um, product lines. One of, one of those product lines is my time. Uh, but others are more scalable and more anonymous, like building software. So it's just, I don't, my personal time will be spent with clients where I can learn and um, and contribute because that's where I will get all of the interesting new ideas that I can then uh, scale for others. Um, but but the clients don't all, all have to buy just my time. They can buy whatever other, other products we're selling and that's fine. Okay, we have something very new. We're gonna I'm gonna test it first time with you. So I have five quick questions. Okay. Uh, they're not related to your business. And they're related a lot to you. That's so uh, I'm going to ask you uh, five of them. They're very simple. What's your favorite color to wear? Uh, khaki green. Khaki green. What's your favorite city? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, right now, I'm missing my old home, Paris. So I'm going to say Paris. What's your favorite cuisine? Lebanese. 
Favorite weather, sunny or cloudy? Sunny. Favorite music genre? Um, indie. Describe yourself in one word. Bubbly. Okay. So I've, you said bubbly. Yeah. You've said you've answered the color and everything. So if we have to put a mental frame around Merlin, would we say Merlin is uh, earthly, humble, uh, uh, wants to reach people in their uh, happiness, sadness, be part of it, uh, far from being superficial? Yeah, one would hope. I mean, this, she sounds like a great person. I hope that I'm like that. <laughs> but, do, uh, but are you like that? Yeah, I mean, um, I try to be a good human. Uh, and I try to be someone who, after you've seen them, whether you're their best friend or, or just seeing them once at a dinner or whatever, where you go away feeling more positive and more empowered. Maybe you've learned a couple of things because I really value knowledge. Um, and I love, and I'm curious and I love sharing information with others. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, if I had to say like, what do I think people who know me feel um, about me is that I'm supportive, I'm positive, I'm warm. Um, I always feed them because I love cooking. And I love having people over. Uh, and, I, and I remember everybody's taste profiles and what they do like and what they don't like. And, and I care for others. And, um, and I hope that when they engage with me, they feel important and heard um, and challenged. One word that describes me is eccentric. Mm -hmm. And you said one word that describes you is bubble, bubbly. Yeah. Why do... Yeah. So why bubbly? I mean, why is that? It's about having this kind of, um, you know, I had a couple of people at very different times in my life. Um, they described me as being like champagne, um, which is really funny. But essentially what is meant by that is that I'm positive. I'm sparkly. I try to not let things get to me. Like we all go through hard times, but um, I try to be the resilient person in the room. Uh, and to keep, you know, a, other people energetic and happy. And so that's why I think bubbly is the word that I picked. Beautiful. Now, without, the, without our core essence, which is in my case eccentric, mm -hmm. in your case bubbly, there is no way we can move forward, whether build culture, build brand, build an organization, or do whatever we want, even when people connect with us, unless we embrace our own truth, which is our, which is our core essence. And that single word of eccentric, which describes me in everything that I do, mm -hmm. I might have been shy away from it 10, 12 years ago, but I've embraced it full heartedly now. And I live it almost every day, every day, every single day, every interaction, I'm eccentric. My glasses, my crazy hair, mm -hmm. even my, everything is eccentric. And when you said bubbly, and you sent me three pictures before this episode. I knew you were around something that is happiness, making people happy, jumpy, <laughs> stuff like that. These are the words that came in front of me. I have jumpy, happy, uh, welcoming. Um, uh, these are three, three. And super friendly, by the way. I mean, people would take a bit of um, reserve from my approach in the beginning. It was not easy. I like, whoa, straight shooter. And you were like, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so finding our core essence as individuals, because we're measured when we when you work remotely today, you're measured on individuality. The organization name remains, but it's not as strong as the individuals that are working around mm -hmm. the name. So when you come and measure each one of us, if I'm an employee today, it's not only my performance, it's also my core essence that will connect with every stakeholder in there to maintain the job, to maintain my startup, to maintain anything. I believe the secret to tomorrow, hotspot, being distant is your core essence. I believe that personally. I think that's, um, I think that's a beautiful thought. And I hadn't, funnily enough, you know, sometimes you take off some of your hats and you become stupid, but I hadn't thought about it that way. And I think, I, well, I want to thank you for kind of opening my mind to that. 
Um, and it, I think it's a very beautiful thought. And I think it's, it's a very good response to, in order for you not to become a, a robot who delivers tasks, your individuality is, is what you can focus on. Thank you for that. Oh, thank you. And, you know, and I believe what you do and what you plan to do is so much what the region needs. And people like you will make great impact. And I love the point that you are very selective about clients. So I, I get really annoyed and bothered when people just do a job for the money and they don't care about the client profile, whether the client is qualified. It's it's absolutely okay to tell the client, I'm sorry, like I do. You do not have a brand. I know you think you have a brand, but you don't. Even when he gets offended, in many cases, clients felt offended from him because I said this, because I tell him, I am just telling you the truth. I cannot take the project just because you want me to do branding. You don't have a brand to do branding. Mm. So people find it difficult to see the truth. But I'm telling you that the truth is what's going to make us do better do better and clients today in fact today unlike five years ago are looking for the truth they want to hear the truth from you they don't want you just to tell them what to do but tell them where am i am i on the right track well you're not okay <laughs> how do i move well in order for you to improve today especially today i need to onboard you to the understanding of what i do oh why because when i leave you remain the champion. I'm not there. Mm -hmm. I have some other clients, but I can come back and visit you. No problem. <laughs> but you remain the champion every day, every single day. And unfortunately, Merlin, what breaks my heart is that a lot of businesses that I've met are left in pain because consultants, mm. like I did in my last video, are just liars. <laughs> unfortunately, not all of them. Most of them are liars. They're in for the money. They take the money, they get paid big bucks, and these companies are left, and the founders are left in pain. Mm. So that's the perception of consultancy that has to sort of change, especially for moving from the big organizations to individuals, the size, my size and your size, yeah. who are coming in and want to humanize brands, businesses. We humanize businesses to turn them to brand. You humanize businesses so they, they can work remotely. So that sort of relationship they had mm. it still remains when I'm from home and he's in, I'm in Paris and he's in London or he's in New York. Okay. That relationship, still, that's, that's what you want to do, correct? Yeah. Actually, it's funny, the, the story about consultants, because my, my client um, called me a few weeks back, uh, about a month after I started working for them after an important meeting and they said you know what i love the most about you is that you're not a consultant <laughs> uh, and i said well what do you mean they said because you care as much about building this thing that you're telling us to to create as you do as you like you want to build it as much as we do it's not about like oh here i'll tell you three smart things get paid and get out of the room you 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 kind of put your sleeve up and you're digging with us and and we really appreciate that um and yeah i think also people in the region are going to be the wiser and they're going to hopefully ask for more from from those that are supporting them and to your point what's the point of me building something that crumbles the second i walk out then i haven't absolutely anything yeah absolutely i mean it's 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 not forget about what ends up on your profile yeah. is just consciously how are you going to live i mean you've just destroyed a company you lied to them for the money yeah you literally told them what uh, what what advertising is, is is branding go ahead and do it and the guy doesn't know that. <laughs> yeah. he rolls it out and next thing he knows it's not working for him and they already spent millions i mean apart from being sin in my book i think consciously and morally it's absolutely wrong you know, uh, Merlin, this comes to the end of our episode, but there's one thing I want you to do, if possible. Sure. What would you give my audience as advice from you in the, condi in the conditions they're in, uh, COVID surrounding them? Uh, what's your advice? Well, here's my advice, actually. I think that... Um, well, first, let's put aside the, the sort of the human tragedy that the virus has caused, because that's not something we can erase. And 
and whatever we can do to support those of us who are less fortunate, then that's what we should be doing. But I think as business owners, there is a silver lining in the sense that most, most Fortune 500, half of Fortune 500 companies, most tech unicorns, they were started during an economic recession. And my advice is you got punched. Don't, don't stay on the floor. Don't be knocked out. The punch was hard, but get up because now is the time for a lot of good opportunities to come by. If you're smart and nimble and you listen to how the world is changing and you build solutions to solve for new problems. So be humane, help out people whichever way you can. If you happen to be fortunate enough to have a roof over your head and food on the table, but also get up on your feet. There are so many interesting and fruitful opportunities to seize so many new problems to solve for. Now's the time for creativity and innovation because that's what crisis brings about. And I think the, the sign for crisis in, in Chinese is actually the combination of the word danger and opportunity. And so that's my one piece of advice. Merlin, it was just, again, super awesome to have you on this episode. And I personally look forward that we probably end up in one project together because that's going to be exciting, seriously. I would love and, that. Yeah, and I definitely will connect again with you. And I also want to welcome you part of my circle, people I meet, I do podcasts with, I mean, episodes with. They remain part of my circle. I'm part of their circle. It's about sharing. It's about supporting. There's nothing about competition. There's nothing called competition. There's something called give. Because when you give, you get not it could not it could not be from the same person but you get it somewhere or the other i agree thank you so much thank you so much merlin thank you very much thank you this was wonderful being on your podcast with this comes to the end of our episode with marlin and i'm sure 100 percent, you guys are like wow Wow, yep. She kept me saying wow several times. I had to throw them questions there to challenge her, like in the beginning about her job with chief marketing officer of Amar, and she was with German office. And um, I like how she did it. I like I like the transparency. I love the honesty. I love people that just come out and say the truth rather than sugarcoating and say, oh, you know what? Uh, yep, I've had some sort of experience here and there and there and there. And... They don't have that back, uh, marketing background, you know, but they like to lie. She didn't. She just came out and said, hey, I did, and I managed it well, you know. And now her new transition is also about impacting people. Great purpose, great passion. Just wow. I like this lady. I do. 